there's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. You know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, you want the clean car. And don't you want the sparkly clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash, they are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly nice so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh man, where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane, unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them, unlimited guest service and most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless washing. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's going on? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here. I am live again for another show out on location. I just, I guess, don't want to be a member of the KLWN studio anymore. But uh, I'm out at Royal Crest Lanes is attached to Wayne and Larry's, the restaurant. reason we're out here is the week of the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic continues on. It is the Rock Chalk Round Bowl Classic that is going on today here at Royal's Cla- Royal Crest Lanes. I don't know if there's any spots still available, but you can check on their website, Royal or at uh, rockchalkroundballclassic.com. If you want to try to get in here, you could also come by here and bowl before they start up at 6 o'clock if you want to... Uh, be bowling on the same lanes that maybe Devonte Graham or somebody's going to be bowling on a little bit later. Um, but yeah, you can still donate as well to the cause of RockChalkRoundBallClassic.com. We had a good time time calling the game last night, and uh, we look forward to to keeping it going today. So I'm Derek Johnson with Cole C. Debutar back in the KLWN studio. We're going to be joined by Josh Briscoe to talk a little Chiefs as their first week of training camp, I believe it's the first week, is wrapping up this week. Their first preseason game is next week. And we'll talk with Josh at about 3.40. We'll also let you hear some audio from the latest uh, KU football training camp today. We got to talk with Jim Zabrowski, who is the quarterback coach for KU, and that dude has more energy in the tip of his fingertips than I have in my entire body. Um, he was really fun to talk to. And we also got to talk to three different quarterbacks, which – you know, most people were kind of assuming that, okay, this is probably a race between Jason Bean, Miles Kender, Jalen Daniels. Maybe if you wanted to get fancy, you would throw in uh, one of the newcomers, a guy like Ben Easters or uh, Conrad Hawley, who was the state player of the year in Missouri. But I think for the most part, you would say those three. And I think the fact that we got to talk to those three today is probably even more of a clear indication that yeah it probably is going to be one of those three guys so we did it guys we narrowed down the qb competition we now know it's only one of three instead of one of a handful or one of seven but it's still just the second day that this coaching staff has had a chance to take a look at all these quarterbacks so literally anything can happen and i know that's not telling you anything new but it's just kind of the fact of the matter right now i wanted to start off the show though talking about this article that was written by Coastal Carolina's president. So this is a guy, obviously, you know, well-versed in collegiate athletics and just college in general. His name is Michael Benson. Again, he's the president of Coastal Carolina. And he wrote an opinion piece for 
some site called the Deseret News. I don't know if this is in Myrtle Beach or something where Coastal Carolina is located. But talking about, in conference realignment, academics, not athletics, are actually the king. And I think this is kind of pertinent to KU. And this is an opinion piece. It's one guy. It is a president of a university. So you could say, well, maybe he's a little bit biased because obviously he would think that being a president of a university, academics definitely do matter. So maybe this will be a little overblown or maybe take it with a grain of salt. But I think there are some really good points here. And this has been something I've been bringing up. You know, at the end of the day, if Notre Dame or and maybe that's a bad one, because Notre Dame is still a good academic university. And that's still the truth with schools like Texas and Oklahoma. They have strong parts about them academically, like members of the AAU and so forth. But if Oklahoma and Texas were not good academic schools and a conference would have been approached by them to join, they would have said, you know what, we care about the academics, but who cares? Because you are so good at football, you are going to make us so much money that we'll take you no matter what. For a lot of the other schools, that isn't the case. How many of those schools do you have that would actually fit that billing of only being able to survive on football? It's a handful or two. For the other schools, everything matters. And you can argue that, yes, certain things might be tiered higher. Certain things might matter more. You know, football, revenue, money, brand. Maybe you would say football ranks first among those. Basketball, all the other sports, the Olympic sports, facilities. There's so many components that go into this. And however you rank them is your prerogative and is the prerogative of the different conferences who would be going about allowing certain teams to join and not wanting other teams to join. So, That is their prerogative. But I think the academic side of it is definitely a component of this. Again, is it the most important component? I would probably say not, but I do think it is very important. Now, what this guy is arguing, again, a president for Coastal Carolina, pretty strong position of power in in terms of it's a D1 school, um, you know, really good in football, even though they're not a Power 5 school. Won a national championship in baseball, I think, a handful of years ago or so. It's not, again, your power five, but still a pretty prominent role. So in this article, he brings up the fact that, you know, often the speculation about realignment and who's going to go where, what schools are going to end up in what conferences, they focus so much on the sports and too little on the academic institutions. He asked the question, what about Texas in-state football rivalries in the Big 12? Will the Big 12 and Pac-12 coordinate a football scheduling agreement? What about basketball? How does this move help the SEC? And he says such questions are important, but the two biggest brokers in these conversations and ones that are often overlooked are the role of academics and a given school's, quote, institutional fit. He says, I would argue this should always be the case. He goes on in this article, it says, ask any athletic director, university president, or conference commissioner, one of the most uttered phrases in conference realignment talks is institutional profile. Even in the money-crazed world of college sports, academic prestige is extremely important, especially for several Power Five conferences. He goes into the Big Ten example, which we've brought up many times, and says, take the Big Ten, for example, recent reports suggest that the Big Ten may expand with a caveat. Potential schools must form part of the Association of American Universities. At present, all Big Ten schools are AAU members, except the University of Nebraska. Although Nebraska was a member when it joined the Big Ten, it was voted out in 2011, the first school to have AAU status revoked in almost a century. Um, And in talks of the conference alignment, the AAU, according to this guy, is the real power conference. Now, That, to me, seems like going too far because, no, the real power conference is the SEC. You think they care about the AAU stuff? No, they don't. But, again, it's a component of everything. So if you have a checklist and you have all these different things that matter to you and just taking a random conference, the Big Ten or the ACC, and you come up with the checklist that matters to you, you know? You come up with, well, the most important thing is football. The second most important thing is TV viewership. The third most important thing is brand. The fourth most is academics. The fifth is basketball. The sixth is Olympic sport. And whatever your ranking would be for that specific conference, academics does lie somewhere on that list. Just might not be the most important, but I definitely think it needs to be getting more credit here. He brings up the fact that the Big Ten won't consider non-AU schools, and it might even have eyes on other members of the league, which has been a reason why 
obviously Kansas and Iowa State have been floated out there because those are the only two other AAU members remaining in the Big 12 once Texas and Oklahoma are gone. Uh, he also mentions the Pac-12. He said if it ever chose to expand, he thinks they would likely focus on AAU schools too because nine of its 12 schools are AAU members, including all four California schools and Utah, who made it in as of 2019. And... Obviously, Bob Bowlesby had those discussions with the Pac-12. It sounds more like to me the Pac-12 doesn't really want to add any of the Big 12 schools. So who knows? I think I would uh, I would probably argue if I, I asked this question on Wednesday, you know, if I was releasing odds for what the most likely thing right now, like gun to my head, I have to release odds on what conference Kansas ends up in or right now, like if I just had to guess where they are. I still think probably number one is just assuming, well, I don't know, the Big 12, I guess. Um, second on that list is probably, to me, I don't know, maybe it is dropping to the AAC or Mountain West, and the ACC and the Big 10 are probably there. I I kind of feel like maybe there's a better chance they end up in the ACC than the Big 10, but that's just a complete guess, and honestly, I do not know, which is why I would make the favorite just ending up in the Big 12, because this is going to be a long, drawn-out process that, Again, we don't really know. As much fun as we've had talking about the hypotheticals and the different reports, you don't really know. But as far as their candidacy and if conferences want to add, I think this article is kind of telling in that regard. Um, the article goes on, and again, this piece is uh, in the Deseret News from Michael Benson, who is the president of Coastal Carolina. So you'd think he would. Know a thing or two about this. Obviously, he's made the jump from FCS to FBS with Coastal Carolina, or at least he's out of school. I don't know if he was there when that happened. Uh, but he goes on to say the AU is perhaps the most prestigious and most exclusive organization of American universities. To join a school is evaluated by four criteria. Competitively funded research support, membership in national academies, faculty awards and fellowships, and research citations. And three-fourths of the AAU's 66 members must vote in favor of a potential member institution for it to receive an invitation. And obviously membership can later be revoked, such as Nebraska. There are nearly 4,000 degree-granting institutions in the United States, and the AAU's 64 American members represent 1.6 percent of that population but the scholarly work stem this is this is i think maybe the biggest two lines of this article but the scholarly work stemming from aau institutions and the value of that research is both undeniable and astonishing 61 percent of the total research funded in the u.s government or 25.6 billion dollars that's with a b 25.6 billion dollars annually is performed by AAU faculty. Let me repeat that. $25.6 billion is performed by the AAU faculty. And again, that's over the course of, whatever, 64 different members, 64 different schools who are part of the AAU. But you hear all these numbers about these conference figures, right? You hear all these numbers about, oh, well, all the Big 12 schools are getting paid, you know, $28 million from the revenue deal or teams in the AAC are getting paid $7 million or in the Big Ten they're getting paid $50 million for being part of the conference. That's a lot of money. But that's a drop in the bucket compared to what those AAU schools are making research-wise. Now, does that necessarily mean that by you know, another conference inviting you to come in, they're going to make money off of all that money that is being uh, allotted from the research of the AAU? Not necessarily, but what's unique about the Big Ten is they have a research institution where all the schools in the conference share their research among each other. So in theory, they would be helping each other out in that regard, and that would help. And I also just did some... Um, Math here, I believe. I think I actually did it wrong. But uh, I'm trying to figure out how much per school 64 members of the 25.6 million, how much that would be per school. Well, I'll figure that out later. Math is hard. Um, but 
it's a lot more money than is involved with what you're getting from the different conferences, right? So that's very important. And um, it kind of furthers along in this point, and thank you, Cole. Um, you can chime in whenever you want, but $391 million, is that the correct number there? Yeah, that's about correct. $391 million per school. And, again, that was a yearly total funded. So making $30, $40 million off the conference, again, that is less than a tenth of what you'd be getting according to this number. And he goes on in this story. He says, when I worked with President Bernie Matchin at the University of Utah, he insisted that two things could happen at Utah. A faculty member could win a Nobel Prize and that Utah's emerging research profile would someday land it within the ranks of the Associated of American Universities. Machin came to the U from the University of Michigan, where he was the provost in 2007. A Utah faculty member won a Nobel Prize in medicine in 2019. Long after Machin and I left, the University of Utah was welcomed into the AAU. So credit belongs to all the faculty, staff, and students who helped the university achieve this singular accomplishment. And he furthers that and adds that point by saying the value of college athletics is undisputed. It brings notoriety and a sense of pride to many of our universities. Obviously, we've seen studies before where, you know, in Florida Gulf Coast went to the Sweet 16, like uh, admissions and um, just people applying to the school, like tripled from what they were initially getting. So it has a big value, but... uh, he says, but when talks of athletic conference realignment heat up, forgetting the academic in academic institutions is a major blunder, and one that conference commissioners and their bosses, which keep this in mind, the bosses of the conference commissioners, as he points out here, are university presidents and chancellors. You don't think those people don't care about the academics? He says, I assure you, have not been forgotten. He says, when talking conference realignment, don't forget the real power conference, which is the AAU. And why that's helpful for KU, as we've talked about so much, they are a member of the AAU. Now, does this mean that they can just show up with like a, you know, laminated card that says member of the AAU and walk up to the Big Ten office and say, let me in? No, it does not. Um, But does it make you more of an attractive candidate? Does it make you maybe a little bit more likely? Does it move the needle just a tad to help you getting into one of these other conferences? It's definitely possible. And again, I don't have any idea what KU is going to do. I don't think anybody does. You know, you can hear the rumors and say that, well, they're talking to this person, they're talking to that person. But until something's concrete, we don't actually know. And I would like KU to join the Big Ten or the ACC or something. And this helps in that regard. Doesn't guarantee it, but I definitely think it helps. And it was nice to see, because I've been kind of chiming that the whole time, that the academics definitely do matter here. It is a key component of it, even if it's not the most important component. It is a key component to hear from somebody of power in the college landscape that it does actually matter. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Cole Butar back in the KLWN studio. I'm Derek Johnson. Josh Briscoe going to join us in about 20 minutes. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk live out at Royal Crest Lanes for the Rock Chalk Round Bowl Classic, which will be occurring at 6 o'clock tonight. Derek Johnson, Colsey Butar back in the KLWN studio. Joined now by Josh Briscoe of Almost Entirely Sports on 810, Arrowhead Report on SI Now, and Times Ours on The Athletic. Josh, thank you for joining me today. Um, what is up with, with jet skis and uh, the trendiness of late? I mean, you have Loki with Mobius-loving jet skis. You have Tiger King, the jet ski guy. You have Derek Noddy now. I, I think the only thing that maybe is more the fad right now than jet skis might be Trey Smith starting at guard right off the bat. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, and Derek Noddy, I guess, would know about both of them apparently now, right? Playing, going up against <laughs> Trey Smith a few times and apparently riding a jet ski this offseason having the best day of his life. Um, I'm still not sure if that's going to end up being a bit for one of, like, the Chiefs had another Randy Reed skit or whatever, which, like, this might be controversial, but personally, I think one of those was, was probably the peak of comedy. But I don't know, man. Ted Lasso was from a commercial originally, so I, I shouldn't I shouldn't assume that they can't spin it into a full series if they don't want to. But yeah, uh, from from that to uh, to seeing what the Chiefs' offensive line has looked like, there's been, been some interesting stuff out of camp these last few days. 
Yeah, if the Chiefs end up starting all these rookies and young offensive linemen paired with other guys like Joe Tooney, who just he's not super young, but he hasn't played with these other guys before, and it's just a new unit trying to build that chemistry, that's obviously great from a component of building a line future-wise for Patrick Mahomes to have him around him for a while. But I have been wondering if, at least in the short term, Maybe we shouldn't expect the unit to live up to its high ceiling right away just because I feel like that position might take a while to develop all of that chemistry playing together. But also that that kind of feels counterintuitive given how well Andy Reid and, and Patrick Mahomes have done in the beginning of the season. So where do you kind of sit on that? I think your hesitation there is super reasonable. I mean, the, there's a chance right now if Mike Rimmers doesn't get healthy and if Lucas Niang does end up starting at right tackle, which I think is the Chiefs' second choice there, but, you know, I think it could be fine. But you have an entire starting five offensive line uh, that would have zero total snaps played as members of the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, it's, it is a wild thing to be seeing for a team that's obviously had so much success and so much continuity and so much holdover and everything. But also on the other side of it, like this is probably a pretty good time to be working in some rookies because you're not trying to get one or two rookies to step into an, an offensive line that's already one cohesive unit. You're trying to build a cohesive unit, which means all three potential rookie starters and your Orlando Brown and Joe Tooney veterans on the left, they're all trying to build simultaneously. So I actually think that there is a way that you can see it branch off in either direction. You can see, oh, man, this is too much overhaul in too short a period of time. Or you can say uh, this is a perfect time to be doing a full rebuild and they're all going to do it together. Which of those offensive linemen are you kind of most interested in the path that they've created for themselves early on in camp? Uh, I think, I mean, I think they're all interesting in their own rights. Probably the rookies more so than the two vets. I think Creed Humphrey is interesting because he's basically cemented himself as the starting center of this team very quickly. There's no, no second guessing on that front. I think Trey Smith is interesting because he was a sixth-round pick who appears to have, not, if not cemented himself, put himself in front of Laurent DuVernay Tardif, and, and obviously Kyle Long had the injury, so that's interesting. But I actually think my answer is probably Lucas Niang because he's the one that I think has the least chance of holding on to that spot going into the season. I think it's a coin split, but I think the other two guys, I think Creed is 100% barring injury. I think Trey Smith's probably at 75-25. And I, I can see Lucas Niang really depending on just the health of Mike Rimmers at this point. To me, the other big storyline outside of the offensive line so far in camp has just been kind of the linebacking core and more specifically mm-hmm. the duo of the two back-to-back second-round picks at linebacker. How, how encouraging is it that Nick Bolton and Willie Gay are getting so many snaps with the first team? It's nice, and I, I think, you know, Spags wants to see the new guys. He, he said that and. Uh, for both of them, I mean, obviously these snaps are very important. Willie really, Gay talked a little bit about not having as much of that work last year, no preseason last year, and limited offseason work. And so I, I think it, I do think it's good for both of those guys, but I also think the expectations for each of them should be different. I think Willie Gay, you should expect to see playing a very significant role this year, and I think uh, for Nick Bolton. I'm not saying it's going to be a full red shirt season for him, but I do think that that he is going to have a harder path to starting this year, much like Willie Gay did last season. The Athletic ranked the Chiefs' defense just the 26th best defense. Do you think that's too low? Do you think it's accurate? Does that make you sad? The feelings on that? I think I think that's too low, but I I wouldn't like I'm not mad about it because I think that there's a lot that I'm assuming or hoping to see that has to be proven still. Uh, Frank Clark, for whatever you think of him, like he's underperformed in his time in Kansas City. Chris Jones is moving outside, and I think that's going to work, but no one has seen it work yet, so that's reasonable. Uh, you know, Jerron Reed in the middle next to Derek Nottie and those guys. I think that's going to work, but you haven't seen it. Young linebackers, uh, the cornerback group is the one that I'm sort of most cautious about at this point. Uh, Juan Thornhill hasn't gotten as much of the work at safety in camp so far as I was hoping to see, so I'm relatively optimistic about it, and I, I think that is going to ultimately be too low. But if you put them there right now, like I, I still think it's probably a bit low. But I, I think it's a I think it's a, a defense that could be near the top of the average group, and that's all you could ask for as long as the offense holds up their end of the bargain, which obviously I think they will. Yeah, that's the key to me. I mean, a couple of years ago when you lost in the AFC Championship. 
to the Patriots, you were in the 20s in defense, whereas when you won the Super Bowl, and even last year, even though you ended up losing the Super Bowl, you were kind of more toward the middle of the pack. So that's kind of the thought to me. Can you just be, like, average defensively? Because you'd love to be better, but that might be enough. And as I go through it, and you brought this up a couple weeks ago when I had you on, and I think it was a really good point, that um, whenever we look at players and we think about them and say, oh, well, that player's really good, we always assume the best. We assume the highest potential for that player when we talk about that. So if I'm looking at this, I'm going to try to do this reasonably, um, but I think there's a case to be made. You could say, okay, well, the Chiefs defensive line, it's about average, right? When you have Chris Jones and when you have who knows what Jaron Reed brings to the table and I don't know, we'll see what happens with Frank Clark and Alex Oakford and everybody. Maybe they can be average. Um, The secondary, that's obviously a big question with the corner spot, but safeties with the threesome pretty much of Tyron Matthew, Daniel Sorensen, Juan Thornhill, you'd probably say that's at least an above-average group and as far as the NFL teams go. And then linebacker, if Willie Gay is able to make an impact on things, you maybe you go from what you've been graded out as one of the worst linebacking cores. If you can just get to mm-hmm. average there, maybe that's your key for just being an average defense. Yeah, I think that's right. The one thing that I would expand on is I think if the Chiefs defensive line is average this year, they're going to be disappointed. I, I think the expectation is that they're going to be a, a top, I don't know, five, seven, whatever defensive line, uh, partially with Reed in the middle, but really with Chris Jones being uh, a monster on the outside and with, with Frank Clark being better than looking more like Seattle Frank Clark. I'm not sure that's going to happen, at least that last one, but that's what the Chiefs are expecting at this point, I think. I think they are expecting the defensive line to be uh, a unit that really can kind of carry them, which then provides a little benefit to, you know, cornerbacks uh, who I'm not as confident in not having to cover his ball. And that, I, think, I think that helps bring the that, – that raises the level, I think, to average, to slightly above average for everybody. Um, but you're right. I, I think corners and linebackers are the biggest question marks. Uh, I think they see defensive line and safety as their strength. Talking with Josh Briscoe, almost entirely sports on A10, Arrowhead Report on SI Now, and Time Stars on The Athletic. Tyreek Hill was diagnosed with knee tendonitis. How concerning mm-hmm. is that for Tyreek and the Chiefs? So yesterday in full padded practice, he looked perfectly Tyreek hill E. So that, that's the good news. Uh, I am still concerned because knee tendonitis has two things I don't want to hear about with NFL stars and specifically super speedy ones, is me and then anything tendon-based. So uh, we talked to Harold Kuntz of Fox 4 on the show uh, last night. He talked about like, him having knee tendonitis and it popping up in high school and, and then dealing with that the rest of his life and then his whole family has it and everything like that. Uh, anyway, all of that to say, like, it is a nagging thing if it is even sort of a serious case. So if, if it wasn't specifically knee tendonitis, I think the Chiefs probably would have just announced Tyree Kill being out with some knee tightness or something, you know. Uh, uh, Travis Kelsey was out with hip and back tightness, so I think you, you have that as sort of a catch-all word. But specifically with tendonitis, my concern is not, you know, can he still be fast? My concern is I wonder if we're going to see in week 8, and week 10, and week 15, are we going to see Tyree Kill being a limited participant in practice in parentheses, knee? And, and I think there's a, probably a pretty good chance of that if he's out there on it for the majority of an NFL season. Yeah, I guess my biggest concern is, and maybe this is unfair, but we've seen this a time or two before with the Chiefs. The one that sticks out to most people is the Eric Berry thing, where it was like, he's day-to-day, he's mm-hmm. day-to-day, and then he's all of a sudden out for an entire season. I would just be worried that you get into a situation where, yeah, you end up at the end of the regular season, and it's week 14, and all of a sudden Tyree Kill can't play, and he misses the rest of the season. I wonder if... You know, I, I don't know if in you talking to some of these people who would know more about this, like are they just better off just kind of cutting ties with the early part of the season and just saying, hey, we're just going to rest you for like six weeks and try to get this thing to make sure it's 100% before we bring you into the season? I think it's going to be more of a load management thing to take a phrase from the NBA rather than a take off a bunch of weeks and try to fully heal up. So I think it's one of those things that I, I'm guessing that he's going to deal with it on some level, like maybe – if it's a relatively severe case, it's something he might have to manage for the rest of his career. And if that's the case, you know, you're not going to try to shut him down pretty stretch. You just have to be very aware of it. He's going to have to stay in communication with the uh, with the coach, with the, the training staff, and everything. And I expect him to do that. So I even think if it pops up late in the season, you shouldn't immediately be afraid of missing 
huge stretches of time, missing multiple games in a row, more just like something that you could see act up at, a, at an unideal time, and, and that would be my sort of remaining concern. How, uh, how trusting are you of McCole Hardman now um, and what you've seen from him in camp in kind of that regard? Because if Tyreek's out, you would think he's going to have to be the go-to guy on the outside. Yeah, I mean, I almost trust him more as a Tyreek Hill sort of uh, replacement or insurance, whatever. Replacement's a bad word. But as the guy who could do some Tyreek Hill things, then I do what, he's, what he needs to be this year for this team, which is to be a guy who can do some Sammy Watkins thing and who can be on the field with Tyreek Hill. And, man, I mean, everybody has sort of doubled down on the idea that he's taking things more seriously this year and he's more mature and all of that. And I think there's a chance that's true. He's had a very good chance by, by basically any metric. I just am also going to need to see it. I mean, at this point also, trust level doesn't matter a whole lot because he needs to play. There, there's not anybody else on this roster behind Tyreek Hill and I guess, you know, in a way, Travis Kelsey, who can, who can add that other weapon to the, the, the pass-catching offense unless you want to go with the running back, so I think we'll be involved as well. But as a number two receiver, Hardman's going to get every chance to win that job beyond a Marcus Robinson, a Byron Pringle, whatever. And I'm, I am hopeful, if not fully uh, 100% confident. But I think there's a pretty good chance, and, and they're going to test them this year. All right, I have another edition of Good Idea, Bad Idea. We're with Josh Pesco here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, first up, to that same regard, drafting McCole Hardman way higher than you initially were in your fantasy draft. Good idea, good idea or bad idea? Um, I don't know where he's going right now. My guess is that if you're going to overpay, overdraft, don't do it by more than a round. So way higher, bad idea. Okay. Um, trading for Chandler Jones with the caveat Frank Clark gets suspended, which would allow you the ability to, I believe, potentially move around some of the money, cut him, and basically yeah. open up the cap to actually be able to afford him. So if Frank Clark... Uh, gets in that situation that opens up some cap for you. Trading for Chandler Jones, good idea or bad idea? I think it's a bad-ish idea for two reasons. One is that I don't think we're going to get news on Frank Clark before the season, so I think it's ultimately going to be kind of a void idea. But but beyond that, I think it, I'm a little bit ready to kind of see the Chiefs get out of the trading for veteran pass rushers game and, and try to find somebody that can be here for a long time, ideally on a rookie deal. Yeah, that would have to be a rental if they did that, right? Yeah, I, I would think so, but I don't know what the price tag then would be. So I, I my guess right now is just that it's not on the cards. Okay. Um, how about this one? There's an obvious caveat to this one as well, because for all we know, the Chiefs did offer Justin Houston a similar contract or a better one, and he just said, no, Burn Bridge, not interested in coming back. But hypothetically, if – Justin Houston did want to come back to the Chiefs, not paying Justin Houston or, I guess, Bashad Breeland. Good idea, bad idea? Um, if Houston was interested in coming back, letting him leave without a contract is a bad idea. Letting Bashad Breeland walk was a bad idea. I, I, I don't think they're going to be season-ending ideas, but I do think they were bad ones. And you mentioned the caveat with, with Justin Houston. I mean, he, the, the, I think it was sort of silly, the reaction to him like working out in the Chiefs helmet, like that hit something. <laughs> But I do think it's a little interesting. Like, it, if he like deeply resented that part of his career, you probably wear like a Colts helmet, right, or a generic one mm. or something. I, I don't know. Maybe that was just his practice helmet that he had at home to wear doing drills. I, I have no idea. Um, but I, I think that it there was probably some burned bridge in one direction or another, if not in both directions there. But I do think bringing him in over Alex Okafor and even over Melvin Ingram would have been ideal. Yeah, I wonder if the Chiefs practice helmet thing is just like, oh, he was with the Chiefs longer, so maybe he got to keep the helmet. Or what if it was just, what if like that is further proof of the burnt bridge, that he was basically saying, I'm going to mess with Chiefs fans' heads right now. They're going to think I'm going there, just to, just to give one last middle finger. If that was the reason, Dustin Houston is incredible, because that, <laughs> that would be hilarious. Okay, last one. This is a good idea with, or bad idea with Josh Briscoe. Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He ends up being an all-pro running back uh, this year and, and next year or something. Clyde Edwards-Alaire getting a Nick Chubb type of extension Bad in idea. a couple of years. Bad idea. <laughs> Bad idea. Uh, here's the thing, man, and this is not personal. People think that I don't like Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He is an incredibly just, like, he is a charismatic dude. I like hearing him talk. I like him. They should not pay. You should not give a running back a second contract. 
the the best logic I can hear for the first round pick is all the stuff that I've heard. Plus, saying we've got him on a fifth year option, even even in that room, you have a you have a running back for his prime. This isn't true for a lot of positions. The running back, their prime is in their rookie deal. You have that right there. And then afterwards, the injuries start stacking up. I, you shouldn't pay Christian McCaffrey. We saw that last year. You should not be paying Saquon Barkley. We've seen that two years in a row. It's just not a good use of your time, even if the running back is exceptional. Plus, if Clyde looks a whole lot better this year than he did last year, you can say some of that is personal improvement. But the rest of it would be that he has a great offensive line in front of him, which means that you can find somebody else to come in and use that offensive line to their advantage. I like Clyde edwards there. I really do. But paying him a big Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey type of deal after his rookie contract would be up would be a terrible idea. It's not Clyde's fault. It's just the position he plays. I love this. I feel like I, on the last question, set off a ticking time bomb that I don't even have to deal with because that's going to do it for our interview. But now, whoever you're going to have to talk to after this, you're going to be fired up. So I'm, I'm glad I left you with that one. My girlfriend's going to come in and be like, hey, I'm about to head out to work. I'm like, that's fine. Just take money back a lot of money. And she'll be very – honestly, she won't be that concerned. She'll know exactly what I'm talking about and then just probably leave me to myself. Yeah, she's used to it by now. He is Josh Briscoe, yeah. <laughs> almost entirely sports on 810, Arrowhead Report on SI Now, and Times R's on The Athletic. Josh, thanks again for your time. I know you've had a busy Friday, so I appreciate you taking some time out of the day to talk to me. Having me on the show, good idea. <laughs> Love it. Josh Briscoe joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That's going to do it for the first hour of the show. Two hours to go. We are live at Royal Crest Lanes for the Rock Chalk Round Bowl Classic. I'm Derek Johnson. Colsey DeButar back in the KLWN studio here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. More to come after this break. All right, it's about a quarter till five here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Colsey DeButar. Back in the KLWN studio, I am Derek Johnson. Todd Reesing, the former KU legendary quarterback, is going to join us at 510 here. So in about 30 minutes, you're not going to want to miss that. We are live here at Royal Crest Lanes. They've got the Rock Chalk Round Bowl Classic going on. They've got some auctions going on. Some of the players are going to be bowling themselves. I believe Todd will be um, a part of that. And then afterwards at Wayne and Larry's, they're going to have some you know, drinks and food, so to speak. And I believe Johnny's Tavern is catering the event here at the Rock Shock Round, Ball Cl- Round Bowl Classic, excuse me. And I'm really looking forward to finding out who the best bowlers of the former KU athletes are. I really think somebody is going to put together a score that surprises you. Like, Devontae Graham is just going to go out there and put up, like, a 250 or something. We're going to be like, this guy is just good at everything. All right, on to our top ten list. On this week's list, top ten things that float. And you may be asking yourself, why are we ranking things that float? Well, let me tell you, it is National Root Beer Float Day today here on your August 6th, on your Friday. National Root Beer Float. So we'll go over the top 10 things that float. Cole, hit the music. Let's get going here. All right, number 10. On the list, top 10 things that float on National Root Beer Float Day. Number 10, rubber duckies. Rubber duckies are the classic item that you think of, of floating. You know, you take a bath, there's all the suds and the soap, and you're taking your bubble bath, and there's the little rubber ducky. Perfect for a child, for a baby who's in the bath trying to make it more enjoyable, so you don't have to worry about the little child crying and whining about wanting to take the bath. Keep the rubber ducky in there. There's a little toy. And realistically, like, this is just all toys that float for children in the bath or or whatever, you know? Keeps them entertained, it makes it look cool, and it's just... Like the classic, whenever you think of that moment, you think of being a rubber ducky there. So rubber duckies, number 10 on things that float. Number nine. Ninth on the list, children who interact with it. Cole, have you seen the movie or read the book? Um, Is it called It? Yeah, we're we're talking about dead children for number nine? No. I mean, I guess, in theory. Well, I didn't really think about it like that. That's kind of a messed up way of thinking it. Um, but you always hear, like, when you watch the movie, the the guy, he's like, I want to make you float, you know? And the child basically gets to float like a balloon 
because of it the clown so yes i guess he's dead if you want to look at it in a negative way cole but also he gets to be a beautiful floating balloon so children who interact with it um are number nine on the top 10 things that float that's messed up number eight <laughs> i'll be honest i did not think that one through enough number eight on the top 10 list of things that float um people People can float, and I don't mean in the in the it way when, you know, he makes them float and they're basically dead like Cole was alluding to. Um, I just mean like you could go out into a pool, you could go out into the ocean, you just lay back and, you know, you kick your legs a little bit and you're floating. Now, people aren't as buoyant, people don't float as well as some of these other items. That's why they're only down at number eight. But sometimes the best way to enjoy the pool or the ocean or whatever body of water you're in is to just float. You don't have to worry about sitting on something. You're still enjoying the water. Um, you get the serenity of being in it. But you don't have to worry about uh, causing stress on yourself of having to swim really hard and tiring yourself out. You're just floating, being peaceful, and enjoying the water. So people, in number eight on the top ten things that float. Number seven. Seventh best of the top ten things that float, balloons. Everybody loves balloons. How could you not love balloons? They float up in the air. Sometimes they float too far in the air, and then they get stuck on the ceiling. And that is not a good thing, because then sometimes they get stuck up there way too long. Um, sometimes it just looks bad. That's why they're only in at number seven. And also, you know, how much are you really getting done with a balloon? It's it's just a balloon. Like, it's, it's cool to look at. It's cool to hold. But eventually, it's kind of a nuisance. Have you ever been with, like, a little kid? and they have the balloon and they think it's so much fun and then all of a sudden you're babysitting the kid or your niece or nephew or whatever after an hour the kid is like i don't want to hold this anymore and now you get stuck holding the balloon you don't want to do that you don't want to have to hold on to the balloon so long now the best honestly part of a balloon might be when it's not floating it's when the balloon still has a little bit of air in it and you can kind of play around with it and toss it between friends and try to keep it up from falling on the ground but that's not the floating portion of it so balloons, cool to look at, cool to surprise people with, cool to say, you know, happy birthday or whatnot. Um, they're in at number seven, but no higher than that. Number six. All right, now we're getting into the real nitty gritty here. Number six, kayaks. And I would consider this a slashy kayak slash canoe. Uh, Cole, give me your one-two list ranking. What is better, kayak or canoe? Canoes, canoes. Uh, kayaks okay, okay. scare me. They're too small. <laughs> all right we'll go with canoes number one then and i'm actually on board with that because you know canoe you can get more people like you're alluding to so it can be more of a party time you could put like a lunch pail on there or a cooler or something you can go fishing off a canoe kayak you don't have as much space to operate and also i'm always like a part of me afraid that my kayak would turn over and then i'm not going to be able to get back up whereas if a canoe it turns over you can just swim around under it as opposed to being like attached to the kayak so i think that's a good call but we'll just consider this a slashy canoes and kayaks in at number six um you can you know go down rivers you can go down streams you can boat around you i guess hypothetically could put like an engine on the back of the canoe and make it an automated boat so to speak kayak slash canoes in at number six on the top 10 things that float let's get into the top five Number five. Number five. A parade float. You go to parades, the best for me when I was a kid, always going to like the 4th of July parades, and you just go out on a street, and these floats are going by, and they're throwing candy, and you're getting free candy. So obviously that'd be a big boon for parade floats, but also everybody knows about the Thanksgiving Macy's Day Parade, right? Um, how could you not understand the significance of that in just pop culture? And that on its own gets parade floats into the top five, the candy thing, the childhood memory. Uh, that's only the cherry on top. It doesn't get as high because at the end of the day, you know, it, it's not really a versatile item. Like a parade float, you can only use it in one situation. It has to be at a parade, which takes months of planning, has to have streets blocked off, which sometimes can be a nuisance for other cars. So it's not any higher, but due respect, tip of the cap to parade floats in at number five. Number four. Number four, we mentioned it is National Root Beer Float Day. Well, number four on the top 10 things to float is root beer. I love a good root beer float. How could you not? I think root beer float might be the most underrated 
form of ice cream, to be completely honest. I mean, all forms of ice cream are great, but root beer float specifically, it's never talked about. You know, it's it's always like, hey, let's let's go get a milkshake or let's get a let's get a blast or let's you know get an ice cream cone. Nobody ever says let's go get a root beer float. You know, that feels like something that was said in like the 50s or 60s. I want to bring it back. Root beer floats are great. Agree? Disagree, Cole? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of root beer floats. Uh, it does sound like something that you'd hear in like an Archie comic. You know, let's go to the soda right. shop. Like, let's go to a diner. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Number so we're into three. the top three. Do you have any qualms with the list so far? Yeah, you said that balloons don't count when they're on the floor, and then you said parade floats at number five. Do you understand why that's a problem? Mm. I see what you're saying, but it is called a parade float, you know? Um, like, root beer doesn't actually float. Yeah, but the ice cream does. Ice that's cream. what the floating part of a root beer float is. Well, well I, I think this is not my fault. I think we just need to get to the bottom of whoever started calling it Parade Floats. I think it's the idea that, like, the floats themselves, they make it look like it's floating. It's just an optical illusion, but the wheels are actually on the ground. But they make it look like it's floating as if it's just gliding through the street. So All I'll right. count it. Stays in there. All right, number three, a raft or a tube. I put these together because they're basically the same idea. It's something that you blow up, I guess just an inflatable Something that you blow up with oxygen or just doing it yourself, which that always sucks. Um, and you can lay on it. You can relax on it. You can go on a float trip, which those are fun. You drink some beers with friends, go down a river. Rafts and tubes, always fun. And, you know, that's the other part of this, too. Life rafts, you know? Like, if you get stranded after a plane crash or, I don't know, your cruise ship, like brakes or something i don't know maybe you get on a life raft and it saves your life so if you have any problems with this then you have problems with lifesavers number two second on the list top 10 things that float muhammad ali one of the greatest athletes of all time float like a butterfly sting like a bee keyword float like a butterfly cole sting like a bee he floats like a butterfly muhammad ali one of the greatest athletes like i said great boxer um i think the chiefs actually tried to bring him on as like a defensive back um well either way muhammad ali is absolute greatness so he absolutely deserves to be in a number two honestly probably could have been in a number one but i feel like there's a very obvious one for the top 10 things that float number one do you have a guess what this is I'm, I'm completely clueless. Everything has caught me off guard. You said float like a butterfly and then said Muhammad Ali and not butterfly, the thing that he's referring to. So go ahead with number Ooh. one, Derek. See, but does a butterfly float or does a butterfly I don't know if Muhammad fly. Ali says it. I'm not going to disagree with him, am I? Oh, that's a good point. I should have put butterfly on the list. But honestly, even if a butterfly was on the list, Muhammad Ali would be higher. Muhammad Ali would squish the crap out of a butterfly and you cannot deny that he would definitely win that fight so i mean the best fighting floater is muhammad ali but the number one thing that floats here on national root beer float day boats of course you know whether you want a cruise ship whether you want a i don't know just a sailboat whether you just have like a tiny little vessel for yourself or it's a houseboat or if it's um I don't know, like a boat that you use to water ski people off of or something. I, I am very obviously lack of knowledge for different boat types. But nonetheless, boats are the best thing to float because it's not just the ability to go out on the lake and have a good day. It's not just the ability to, um, I guess, overcome a natural element, which is water. I mean, think about that. We're able to glide across water, which without the boat, you would just sink or you would have to swim and that not be as much fun but it's also about the fact that you know boats are used to transport different things from country to country among trade boats have also been used to uh travel boats have been used to you know bring people from country to country when you had immigration coming over from europe into the united states in the early 1900s so boats number one of the things that float any issues with that do you think that we should try to convince the head honcho to buy us a company boat maybe do some live broadcast from clinton lake <laughs> i think we should try 
Um, but will it be successful? Absolutely not. That is your top 10 things that float here on National Root Beer Float Day. Cole Butar back in the KLWN studio. I'm Derek Johnson here at Royal Crest Lanes for the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic. We will be back after this timeout. Todd Reesing going to join us in about 10, 12 minutes from right now. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're live at Royal Crest Lanes as we get ready for the Rock Chalk Round Bowl Classic. Starting up here in less than an hour, so uh, we're starting to get more and more people in here. They have auction items going up for sale. It's going to be a fun time out here at the Rock Chalk Round Bowl Classic. Colcita Butar back in the KLWN studio. I am Derek Johnson. Coming up in a little bit, we'll let you hear some audio we've got from Jason Bean. But first, in a few minutes, we're going to talk with the former KU quarterback, that would be Todd Reesing, who was at the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic last night and I believe is going to be out here for the bowling event here tonight. So uh, we'll talk with him coming up in about five minutes from right now. But just awesome football in the air, man. Football totally back now, preseason. Hall of Fame game occurred last night. Steelers beat the Cowboys 16-3. to um, And so is KU football. Uh, every time I head out to Memorial Stadium for these media availabilities and practices, it just really starts getting me revved up just thinking about the start of football season. I, I just feel like everything right now that's occurring around the program has a purpose, and it hasn't always felt that way. It just Everything's high tempo. Everything is about getting as much reps as possible, trying to develop these guys, trying to create this culture with the program that hasn't been there in the past. And uh, some of the quarterbacks, uh, again, I'll let you listen from Jason Bean um, in a little bit on the show. And over the course of the next couple of days, we'll let you hear from all the other quarterbacks as well. But you just get this sense that, th- sense that things are just a little bit different. And that is kind of the sales pitch of why you bring in a guy like Lance Leipold. Like, it might not be something about as being flashy on social media or about winning the press conference with the name of the coach. But the dude is just going to grind, get down to work, and create this culture for KU. And it feels like everybody's on the same page. You hear from Jim Zabrowski today on the same page with a guy like Lance Leipold. You can see why he enjoys him because Lance Leipold, you know, going around practice and telling all these guys, hey, we want more reps, more reps. Like, we got to get um, as much as possible here because with limited time to practice – and NCAA rules that prevent you from practicing over a certain amount of time, you have to take advantage of that time as much as possible. Get in as many reps as possible. They do a system where they basically have two units who constantly rotate in for each other, like play to play, so that they maximize the reps. It's just those things, this sense of urgency, this feeling that everything has a purpose that has been so different than maybe some years past. And I'm actually excited to talk to Todd because not only about the Ground Ball Classic, but Todd was actually talking with the KU football team earlier today. And I'd be interested to hear the message he shared, but also um, to hear from him about what he thinks about this new staff and what he thinks about some of those things in comparison to his playing days when he was with Mark Mangino because it seems eerily similar with the attention to detail that they're going over to that importance of that sense of urgency and that feeling that everything has a purpose. And some of the quarterbacks kind of mentioned that, that, yeah, it is a little bit different nowadays. Now, they didn't throw anybody under the bus from previous staffs or anything like that, but they did say, yeah, there is like kind of that added emphasis to it, which I thought was really cool to hear from the different guys and talking to Jim Zabrowski just kind of further echoed that with the idea that he was this kind of fast talking, high energy dude who felt like he had just drank three cups of coffee and was bringing that to the quarterback room was bringing furthering that idea of, Hey, we got to go fast. We got to um, bring in as many reps as possible and, and have this sense of urgency. The season is just three weeks away and we don't have a lot of answers. We just took over. We have to cram in, whatever, six months of work, nine months of work into three, four weeks. So there has to be that sense of urgency to do just that. And we'll talk about that with uh, Todd Reesing coming up here any minute right now here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com and the KLWN app. Again, live here out at the Rock Shock Round Bowl Classic. The Rock Shock Round Ball Classic was last night. 
and we saw the crimson team victorious over the blue team 108 to 97 i believe todd scored four points last night now todd is ready for us on the phone so uh todd reesing joining us now ku football legendary quarterback todd uh thanks for joining me today uh how would you grade your performance last night in the rock truck round ball classic you know i after reviewing the tape looking at the fundamentals <laughs> i'd have to say i mean no better than maybe a c plus maybe a b minus um, not really satisfied with my shooting performance. My rebounding skills, I think I crashed the boards very hard. Did a great job on that part. Defense was, was okay. I killed McCray kind of crossed me over the whole night. I don't know why she wanted to pick on me. Probably wanted to pick on the one non-basketball guy. But uh, on, the, on, the, on the sideline, on the bench where I belonged, I did a great job cheering, cheering my team on. Was that playing in a game like that where you're playing against a bunch of NBA guys – um, where maybe you are fearful for being, oh, no, am I going to get embarrassed here? Is, like, Cole Aldridge going to dunk all over me? Is that more nerve-wracking than playing in a game like the Orange Bowl? Uh, absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> Listen, these, these guys are big, but at the end of the day, they're, you know, they're not hitting you. Um, you know, you might, you might get a little body bump, but, you know, in, in, unless you've had Indomitian suit pick you up and throw you around like a rag doll, <laughs> Um, you know, I'll, I'll take a little, a little bump down in the paint in basketball any day of the week. <laughs> well, we needed you to score, or at least my producer, Richie, needed you to score like 40 more points last night because we did a points draft, and he fell up short to me, and now he has to eat a really hot hot sauce. So I don't know if you have any recommendations, anything from Texas that is just like the hottest thing in the world that he could eat. Well, if you want, if you want, if you're going to go hot, you need to eat some of those uh, some of those ghost peppers. Those okay, things are. Okay, so there's uh, the recommendation. There you go. Now, I myself would never do that, but it sounds like he lost a bet, so that's going to be on him. <laughs> yeah, he did lose a bet, so uh, he's I know not looking forward to that. Was there a guy last night that you were most in awe of, of just seeing them like on the court and actually getting to participate against you know NBA level athletes? Um, well, so D- my man Devonte was on my team, and um, I-, I always loved watching Devonte play when he was at Kansas. Um, you know, especially those last two years when he really took control of the team. Um, so getting getting to play with him um, was a ton of fun, just because he's a guy I enjoyed watching so much. But you know, the guy that really surprised me with just how athletic he was was Fee, and uh, we all know how good of a three point shooter uh, he is. But man, he had some some dunks, and he went up, and he was so explosive uh, going up at the rim that um, I just wasn't, uh, I didn't quite have an idea of just how athletic he was. You know, I think I asked you the wrong question off the top. I asked you to grade your performance, but the real question should be because, you know, it, it's one thing if I'm playing a basketball game with some of my friends versus going out there and playing against, you know, guys that are seven feet tall where you're getting an offensive rebound and you can't put it back because Cole Aldridge. Just has a shadow over you. Um, but how would you grade your performance in comparison to the other football players, Derek Fine and Brandon McAnderson? Well, I think I had the most points of all the football players. So in you that did. regard, I, 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 think I, I think I got an A and um, maybe a pr- pr- uh, promotion. So um, it, it, in relation to my teammate Derek, you know, I, I don't know that he really <laughs> contributed that much to the team. You know, he didn't get any points. You know, he might have played some good defense here and there, but. Um, you know, at least I was I was out there contributing. Yeah, I I mean, you had four points. I think BMAC had two. I don't remember if Derek Fine got a bucket or not, but he either didn't get way, a you're no. We okay. I, we gave him, we gave him trouble for that. There we go. I love that. Um, how would you normally describe your game? What's the what's the scouting report on Todd Reesing in the hoop game? Well, I was always a guy that, you know, in true fashion, I, you know, I don't like to uh, to sit back. I was more of a attack the rim kind of guy, and I did a couple of times. I tried to get a couple up uh, up and unders, but you know, one time I, I I had an opening. I drove the lane, and then I went up, and then I saw one of the Morris twins um, right there. And when you see a guy that's a, a full foot taller than you, you kind of freeze up a little bit mid air, and then you get a little bit discombobulated, and the ball just goes, you know, Lord knows where. Uh, when you were at KU, 
I would imagine some of the guys on your team who are just amazing athletes. Like, I, I don't know why. I, I feel like Akeem Talib is one of those guys who whenever, everything he does, he's probably just great at. Was there one guy who was like, man, this guy might be able to walk on on the KU men's basketball team. That's how good he was. You know, it was Akeem was certainly a, a freak athlete. The guy who was good at absolutely everything he did was Kerry Meyer. And, and mm. he obviously, you know, showed that with the ability to, um, you know, not only play quarterback but play receiver. You pretty could have put Kerry on linebacker. He would have done well. You know, he he was also really good at basketball. I mean, anything you play with Kerry, he was extremely good at. So I, I think if you expand the scope of you're good at this beyond, like, a couple of sports, then Kerry probably is going to be your runaway winner. What uh, do you are, are you coming out to the bowling event tonight? Uh, I am, and I, I certainly plan on winning that event. I may not be a good okay. basketball player, but my bowling game is top notch. Okay, well, that was going to be my question. I was going to say, what's going to be more points last night or strikes that you bowl today? But it sounds like it's a very clear answer there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to surpass my points and strikes in the first game of bowling. We'll put Woo! Okay. Right um, I'm going for five I was, I was, first game. Wow. Okay. And I was, I was talking to your former running back, Brandon McAnderson yesterday, and we were, we, we looked back over on his old KU athletics profile on like the website. And one of the things it said in the blurb, it said, one of his like favorite hobbies is bowling. So I think the pressure is on BMAC that he has to at least perform up to par with you to call it a good day for him. He does, and so does Daryl Stuckey. Daryl's been talking a big game. We, we might even have some side action at the bowling game tonight. <laughs> uh, he, apparently he has his own ball. I think this guy, you know, he needs something new to work on. So I guess it's his bowling game, but uh, Daryl, if you're listening – I'm coming for you tonight. I'm not holding back. <laughs> Did you guys ever have any good stories? I was so sad to hear when uh, J Bull closed down at uh, the old Union in uh, on the on the campus. Did you guys ever have any good stories back when you were at KU of getting some of the guys together and going on out there? You know, I, I took a bowling class, um, but you know, never did too much. You know, to be to be honest. Like, the way that I bowl, which is, you know, throwing the ball about as hard as I can while trying to put a little spin on it, it actually makes your arm extremely sore for the next few days. So it wasn't the most advisable thing to be doing, you know, also trying to keep your right arm fresh for throwing a football. I could only imagine the conversation Mark Mangino would have with you in <laughs> practice if your arm was sore from bowling. Sorry, I bowled three games last night, Coach. I'm not as fresh today. I need a day off. <laughs> that probably wouldn't have worked out very well. No, it would not have. We're talking with Todd Reesing here, the former KU quarterback. Um, you got to speak with the KU football team earlier today. So what was kind of the message that, that uh, you gave the guys? Well, yeah, I got out there for, for, for practice. I, I didn't I didn't talk to the team. I got a chance to see Coach Leipold uh, and meet a number of the other coaches, uh, which was my first time to get to meet uh, some of the rest of the staff that Coach Leipold um, has brought over, you know, from his previous uh, job at Buffalo. So uh, it was just great to be back out there. Um, you know, remember that feeling of being in August two days. I know it's just a second practice, but uh, I love the energy they are moving around with. The coaches, obviously, um, you know, they know what they're doing. They've, they've built two successful programs. They had those guys out there competing, moving around at a high pace, uh, which was, was fantastic to see. And it was uh, – it certainly gave me a little bit of chills and memories of uh, of those days, you know, roughly over a decade or so ago. Yeah, that's that's kind of the the thing I was wondering. Um, some of the guys have mentioned in in talking to them how there has been kind of that sense of urgency in, in getting as many reps as possible. Is that kind of similar to when you were at KU with Mark Mangino? How there was all that attention to detail and and so much focus, and as far as like practice goes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, th I think back about Coach Warner, um, you know, my uh, officer coordinator the last three years, and he was the same way. He was a high-intensity guy, and he wanted us moving around at a fast pace. And, and his whole, you know, approach was that if you make practice very stressful <laughs> um, and you're having to move at a fast pace, that means the games are going to slow down for you. 
And I think practicing with a sense of urgency, um, with, with a lot of energy, um, is only going to prepare you more so for the games um, because you don't want the games to feel like you're, you're kind of losing touch or you don't know what's going on, things are moving too fast for you. You want to get in the games and feel calm and feel like, hey, I've done this before. I know exactly what I need to do to execute and go out there and make plays. One of the guys who's in the quarterback competition right now, Jalen Daniels, last year started as a 17-year-old as a freshman, and he had his ups and downs. Um, You obviously got to play a little bit in your first year at KU. I believe that would have been 2006. And then you had your big breakout season the next year in 07. How much of a jump is there from year one to year two, and and what kind of goes into that? Uh, it was a huge progression. I mean, uh, you know, the first year I didn't even think I was going to play. So I was, uh, I was just as surprised as everyone else the first time I stepped into a football game uh, against, Colorado, against Colorado in Memorial Stadium. Um, but going into the next year, obviously, you, you spend a lot more time, you know, focusing on the details, trying to learn the offense, and really being a student of the game to try to understand how do I dissect the defense, how do I recognize what the coverage is, how do I know when there's a blitz, what do I do with my – um, my, my adjustments at the line of scrimmage. So the game slows down a lot more. You also get a whole other year of reps, a whole other year in the weight room, um, you know, as, uh, as you've been removed from high school, and all of that just helps your development. So I think there's a huge difference between year one and year two, um, which is often why you don't see a ton of true freshmen just come out there and, um, you know, start and, and blow everyone away. It's, it's a big adjustment from high school to college. What do you think is the most important thing for a quarterback to be successful here at the University of Kansas? Is it a mental thing? Is it a physical thing? What do you think goes into that? Uh, it's a combination of both. You know, you you can't just be only the smartest guy, and you can't just be only the most athletic. Uh, you got to have a blend of both talents. Uh, you have to be able to uh, to understand the game, to be a leader, um, to understand how to make the right decisions as a quarterback. But at the same time. You got to have you know enough skills between your ability to throw the ball, not only from a strong arm, but the right place, the right time, uh, and the ability to move around a little bit. And um, that's just a tough, a tough package to find. And um, you know that's why there's only so many quarterbacks that you see that you know really, really do very well. Um, it's not an easy position to play. That's why it's so important to the success of a football team. Um, but hey, listen, we. we I'm looking forward to us finding that guy. We need to have a leader on the team. We need a quarterback that we can count on so we can go out there and compete with the best people uh, around the country. Talking with Todd Reese, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I I feel like with the new name, image, and likeness bill that's gone through, you would have been somebody who would have obviously reaped giant rewards from that in your time at KU. And I don't just mean for the on-the-field stuff. I feel like the you know, the video everybody always sees with the orange bowl of you dancing around, I feel like you would have been one of the more marketable guys. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sitting here kicking myself, thinking if I had been a player nowadays, I would have had a, a much better nest egg coming out of college. Could have invested that, and who knows, 10 years later, maybe I wouldn't be working right now. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a little bit upset. Thanks for rubbing it in. <laughs> Well, uh, maybe we can work on something. Maybe, I guess, never never too late. Never too late. Maybe we can get some old. Maybe I don't so. know. I don't know how the rules work. Maybe we can start getting some Todd Reesing jerseys for sale at Memorial maybe Stadium or bring, something bring like that. Back in style. It's a good idea. Thanks for the A. Listen, I, I, I might take you up on that idea, so we'll work on that. Yeah, there we go. Get the red ones with the orange bowl patch on them. Boom. Top seller. We're good to go. I just want for the idea, just, I don't know, 25%. Is that fair? We'll, we'll negotiate offline. Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> he's todd Reesing, former ku football legend and quarterback todd thanks for the time and uh looking forward to seeing what you can pull you got to clear what 150 200 today listen I'm, I'm shooting for around 200 that's the goal all right that's the goal todd Reesing again joining us thanks again for the time man yeah thanks guys take care cheers all right take care man todd Reesing joining us here on rock chalk sports talk